Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the HR Leaders Podcast, the show where we explore the future of work with industry experts and HR executives from the world's leading global brands. Uh, today, we have a very special guest on the show. We're joined by Gary Ridge, who's the CEO at WD40 uh, and co-author of Helping People Win at Work. Uh, Gary, welcome to the show. How are you? G'day, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. It's like a, a flashback to my childhood. I think when we first spoke, I was saying... WD40 was my best friend when assembling my skateboard and my rollerblades to go as fast as I could. <laughs> okay. well, there's those memories. Yeah, and it's, it's funny we're speaking today because um, I think probably everyone has their own story about how, how they use WD40. And for me, it was always you know putting my ball bearings on my rollerblades in, uh, spraying near a WD40 and seeing how fast I can go. <laughs> Which uh, looking back now, it uh, seems pretty uh, pretty funny considering where we are. But uh, you know. That was me kind of living my experience through your product. Um, before we jump in, uh, tell everyone a bit about yourself personally and your background and journey to, to where we are today. Yeah, thanks. Well, uh, I'm an Aussie and uh, I, um, I joined WD-40 in 1987, uh, but down in Sydney. And I worked in Sydney, more um, primarily in Sydney and Asia from 87 to 94. Uh, in 94, they invited me to move to the United States uh, to actually help lead our international expansion. And um, in 1997, I got to lead the company. And since then, we've been creating positive lasting memories around the world, stopping squeaks and solving problems in factories, homes and workshops. So, but really my passion, uh, one of the big learning moments I had in life when I given the opportunity to lead the company is I, I worked out a couple of things. Firstly, I worked out that I was consciously incompetent. Uh, secondly, I worked out that micromanagement wasn't scalable. And thirdly, I worked out that in most circumstances, I was probably wrong and roughly right. So I needed a lot of help. Mm. So I went back to school. I did a master's degree in leadership. That's where I met my friend, Ken Blanchard. Uh, learned a lot about servant leadership and really passionately understood that if we as leaders could give people the opportunity to step into their best version of their personal self, uh, they do wonderful work. The reason we're successful is because of the wonderful people at WD-40 who wake up every day and make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, learn a lot and have fun. Wow. So 30, 31 years, if I've got that right. Uh, yeah, this might be 32, actually. Yeah. 32, wow, because I, I was born in 87. I'd, I'd love to jump in, if you don't mind, for a second and talk about why you call yourselves a tribe. Sure. Um, one of the biggest desires we have as human beings is to belong. Uh, you and I and probably a lot of people who are, have joined us today have either left a company, an organization, or probably a relationship because they didn't feel like they belong. Most people leave organizations because they hate their boss. So we wanted to give uh, ourselves something that we could actually say we belong to, you know, a family or a tribe. And then the other thing that was interesting, when I, I studied attributes of a tribe and I studied the Indigenous Australians and the Fijian Islanders, um, the number one uh, responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. If you can imagine going back thousands of years and, and sitting and observing a group of Australian Aborigines at a meeting, the senior, the most senior tribe member would be teaching the young tribe members to throw a boomerang. And if you couldn't throw a boomerang, you wouldn't survive because it was the tool of survival. So we see the key or the, the, the cornerstone of our business is learning and teaching. The number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. And there are other attributes, values, future focus, celebration, we're warriors. So we could actually put meaning around the word tribe 
and people are very proud to say, I belong to the WD-40 tribe. And we see that, right? Because before this interview, I was doing some research into the company, even on social media, and people really, really are ingrained in your tribe. They really feel part of this family connected where people are with you when things are going well, and when you fall down, they're going to pick you up. There's that real sense of unity. You know, the, Junga wrote a book called Tribe. It was Sebastian Junga wrote, wrote a book called Tribes, and he said the the best definition of a tribe is a group of people who bound together to both protect and feed each other. And that's what we do here. We protect each other in many ways and we work together to feed each other. So, and you know, yeah. if you think about Maslow's hierarchy to self-actualization, the first two rungs of that is, you know, am I, do I have what I need to survive and am I safe? And the third one is belonging or love. And you don't use the word love in business, my goodness, but yeah, we yeah. use it a lot. Yeah. Could you talk about the um, the the maniac pledge? Something I came across today, which I just absolutely love, and, and, yeah. and explain that by the name and what why why you created the maniac pledge for everyone. Yeah, sure. Um, we created the maniac pledge because it's a way of us really identifying that we are responsible to each other, and it happened actually many years ago. Uh, I was traveling somewhere, and I got back, and I got back to the office, and someone, you know, approached me, and they were really disappointed because they didn't know something. So we said, well, how do we bring something into the, the organization that gives people permission, but also holds them responsible? And if you've read it, the first three words of the Maniac Pledge are, I am responsible. And it says, I'm responsible for taking actions, asking questions, getting answers and making decisions. I won't wait for someone to tell me. If I need to know I'm responsible for asking, I have no right to be offended that I didn't get this sooner. And if I'm doing something others should know about, I'm responsible for telling them. So you'll see what we've really highlighted. There are all the excuses people normally give. Yeah, exactly. For not knowing. And, you know, it's kind of finger pointing. <laughs> yeah. So we said, why don't we just <clears throat> bring those out in the open and say, we're not going to accept those as excuses anymore. We're going to accept them as our responsibility. Because one of the common questions I always hear from people is, you know, how do you nurture a culture of accountability? There you go. You need to. Everyone needs to create their own maniac pledge. I told you already, Gal. I'm stealing yours. No worries. <laughs> it's free. I, I think you put it perfectly and encompassed a lot of those, uh, you know, common uh, complaints that people make in that statement. Yeah. And it's giving it's giving people permission to act as well, which I love. Yeah. That. People come in all the time to my office and other places and say maniac pledge. I say, okay, I know what you mean. Tell me what you want to know. I said that to you before as well. I love the fact that everything that you create, you make sure you pay attention to its it's the way you communicate the message. You create like a brand almost around each of these um, purpose statements, your why, your mission statement to make it exciting and engaging. And, you know, you could have named it something very boring and no one's going to remember it. But the maniac pledge, people are going to remember that. How do you, is that something you, is it, that's intentional and that you really think about when you're going through these type of initiatives? I have a saying that people camouflage issues with confusion to make out how smart they are. It, it's why I like Simon Sinek's work. You know, he took vision and mission and turned it into why, how, what? Oh, duh, how simple is that? You know, what we want to do is make things simple and we want to make it so it's curious, so people are curious. So as you said, maniac pledge, what do you mean by that? Now, if I yeah. called this the pledge of responsible communication, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what would happen to be boring? No one's going to look at it. 
Yeah, I just love that. And I see that. I've noticed, I've noticed that more similar with your tribe and similar with all the other things. It's something that people can really get behind and, and, and they feel like they're part of something yeah. um, as well, which is amazing. So let's move on to the topic of the show and the title that everyone's probably looking at, which is, are you, uh, are you an accidental soul-sucking CEO? So it's a bit of a bit of a statement there. And, and thank you so much for sending me over my own mini soul-sucking owl. CEO. So I've got my mini, mini soul-sucking CEO and it even says it on the back, if I remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> the Soul Sucking CEO. So tell everyone, where, where did this come from? You know, where did this start? And where did the whole Soul Sucking CEO, what was the origins of this? Intentionally or unintentionally, leadership behavior sucks the soul out of people. And, you know, the evidence of that is, you know, from Gallup research, 66% of people go to work every day. They're either disengaged or actively disengaged. And that's not accidental. That's real. But the behaviors of the leadership are the things that create that. You know, we were, I was talking about, well, why does this happen? And it's because the soul sucking CEO actually sucks the soul. And you can replace the word CEO with leader or manager, supervisor, or anybody you like. Sometimes they may be acting in this way and not necessarily realizing that their behaviors are not creating a culture that is allowing people to be their best selves. You know, Simon Sinek's new book just came out yesterday, The Infinite Game. And I love, he has a description of culture. He says, culture is values plus behavior. Now, I, I, I changed that a little bit. I said, culture is values plus behavior multiplied by consistency. Yeah, you have to have the consistency, otherwise that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the thing that is really big about this guy, Al, uh, he has an ego bigger than the world. In fact, his ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. And the biggest killer of leadership is a big ego. Uh, when it's all about me, 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 and not about what it should be, which is caring for others, which means the well-being of the people you, you lead is your number one priority. And again, like to my point earlier, the, you, you, you couldn't just leave it there. You, you created a, a mascot around it. Yeah. Similar to all the other things that you do. I just love the fact that you bring these things to life to, 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 that people remember. But as I said, even people in my office come up to me and go, what, what is that on your shelf? And I, <laughs> all of a sudden, I have this whole story that turned into a half an hour conversation around the souls like in CEO, what that means. So I love that that's always front of mind for you when you're trying to put Absolutely. A, if you haven't already checked out uh, Gary's LinkedIn article, <clears throat> make sure you have a look at that. It's basically kind of going over what we just spoke about. And one thing I love about it is that you go through how to be a soul-sucking CEO as opposed to how not to be. Explain a little bit more why that was the approach and the way you wrote that article. Well, you know, if I was telling you, if I told you don't do this, you would probably say, well, I don't do it. And I, <laughs> yeah. but, but if I explain what the behavior is, people go, oh, yeah, uh, mm, maybe. I do do that. So, you know, the soul-sucking CEO, there are 10 kind of behaviors that uh, are kind of dominant. The first one is the soul-sucking CEO excludes people from critical conversations and from decisions because the soul-sucking CEO doesn't believe that involving the people is important. He has all the answers or she has all the answers, you know, the ultimate decision maker. So, um, you know, it's really important that you know, that person's in charge. Now, what happens when that happens is you, you lock out all creativity, you lock out all curiousness, you know, you end up with a, a really tunneled vision around leadership. So um, they don't involve their people. Second one mm -hmm. is they are never in servant leadership mode. 
um, it's all about them. Um, you know, it took it took a lot to get to that role of CEO. They had to climb a lot of ladders and do a lot of kissing and whatever they do. So, um, you know, they don't involve their people. A soul-sucking CEO always has no respect for learning. The soul-sucking CEO will say, what if we invest in our people and they leave? The serving CEO will say, what if we don't and they stay? He doesn't invest in his people. They don't care about anyone else, what, about how they think or how they feel. This is really about emotional intelligence. And as I've touched on before, EQ is probably one of the biggest destroyers or the lack of EQ is one of the biggest destroyers of leadership. When the ego eats the empathy instead of the empathy eating the ego, leadership is absolutely destroyed. The soul-sucking CEO will never learn from experiences. Um, we say that leaders uh, exercise good judgment. Good judgment comes from experiences. Experiences come from poor judgment. And that's why we call our, in our organization, we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments. So we took the word failure out. And I replaced. noticed that, by the way, in, in a lot of your articles and your book and other things like that, you always make sure we, you know, it's not about failures. It's about that learning moment. And you reframe what a failure really means to many people. Well, Nelson Mandela said education is the most powerful tool we can use to change the world. So why would we create a system within organizations where we punished people for learning by saying, if you fail, you're going to be punished. So we said, okay, you know, I have lots of scar tissue. Um, you know, I have lots of, I've never made a mistake in my life, but I have had millions of learning moments. So I look at them as really a positive opportunity. And if you look at them that way, you know, our definition of a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that can be openly and freely uh, shared to benefit all people. So that gives you a whole opening of learning opportunities, which is really important. The soul-sucking CEO does not have a strong sense of self-worth. In other words, when the soul-sucking CEO is wrong, everybody else must take so, the so blame. My, my way or the highway. Type my of way or the highway. They're champions of hope. The soul-sucking CEO isn't a champion of hope. He, he, it's fear. You know, they're fear-based leaders. Um, the soul-sucking CEO is really into micromanagement. Anything that they can do to cause a delay in critical thinking is something that's really, really important to them. One of the worst things about the soul-sucking CEO, he breaks promises. The, souls, you know, the, this, the, the serving CEO always does what they say they're going to do because leadership, when you think about it, I think about it, it's like being on Broadway with the lights on 365 days a year with no intermission because people are always watching you. And I often say, if you can't be a good leader and you don't want to take the responsibility of leadership is not about you, it's about the people that you serve, then don't try because you'll be a bad leader. This not doing what you say you're going to do is really a huge, a huge destroyer of trust within leadership. And then soul-sucking CEOs don't value the gift of feedback or contrarians. You know, I often talk about my mom. She was 99 years and nine months old when she passed away. She was one of the greatest givers of feedback ever, but she always did it with unconditional love. And I think 
you know, we learn as leaders, and I've certainly learned over my time, I have a huge responsibility to give caring feedback the more I care about someone because I don't want them to hurt themselves. And often we don't, we don't, we don't have the courage to do that because we are the ones that have the fear. And, and we need to do that, but we need to do it in a constructive and caring way. But all of those are explained on the on the page on thelearningmoment.net. So, and there's a whole article on it. So I've just touched on them briefly this yeah, morning. Yeah, exactly. Really, that's why I love that the the solution is is identifying perhaps some of these things in your own in your own leadership. And I'm certainly not perfect. And I, I look through some of the um, points you made, and there's definitely areas that I can improve on. But it's the way you framed it which really helped me come to that conclusion, as mm-hmm. opposed to telling me this is what you need to change. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, absolutely love that. For, for those new to um, sort of servant leadership, how do you define servant leadership? Well, it's empathy and servant leadership is when the well-being of others is equally or more important to you than your well-being and, and success of yourself. So servant leadership is about, you know, we are there to serve the people. It's It's a bit like you know, in our company, we don't have managers. We call each other coaches. So if you think about it, let's think about the great game of rugby for a moment. Um, just by the, you know, I'm Australian and it just happens to be a, a game coming up on the weekend be, between Australia and England. Yeah. But um, in the great game of rugby, you never see the coach on the field. The coach is on the sideline or in the locker room. And what is the coach doing as a servant leader? They're watching the play, identifying opportunities. They're you know building building trust. And when the game is over, and the team goes to get the cup, you never see the coach on the podium. They're always letting the team, the captain and the team, take the trophy. And I think that's what servant leadership is about. It's it's about being the person that's there to help someone play their best game. It's so rewarding because you're really there as an enabler to help others. Could you share some ways that you've demonstrated this in your own leadership as CEO? Yeah. Um, you know, my motto is I'm not here to mark your paper. I'm here to help you get an A, the book I wrote with Ken Blanchard. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I wake up every day to help people get A's. And mm-hmm. the first thing you need to do is identify what an A looks like. And then we have to build, bring will and resources to the business. Resources are very simple. You know, they're their you know, time ta- and, and talent and treasure. Will is about motivation and passion and purpose. And a lot of organizations get that out of out of balance. Yeah, but everything you do is linked back to your values, which I love, and your why and your purpose statement. Something I see that a lot of companies are struggling with is how do you take your values and turn those into talent development programs? Your values are like the um, banks of a river. Now, if you think of a river, it goes from the mountains to the sea. And the banks of the river keep the, the, the r- river going in a certain direction. Now, as you go down that river, you're going to run into things. You're going to get some choppy water. You might get some rough, rough times. There might be a bit of dry. And the, but the values keep you going in the direction that you need to go to. I, interestingly, just last evening, I had a group of, of military people here, about 30 from a group called the Honor Foundation. And these are transforming military out of military into uh, into civilian workforce. And I do a, a class with them on culture. And one of the things I do is I do a case study and I say, here's a case study. And I divide them into three groups. And I say, this group here, here's a hierarchical set of clearly defined values. The group in the middle, 
here's a set of clearly defined values that aren't hierarchical. And the third group, you can do whatever you want. Now, at that time, the third group get really excited because they think they have all the freedom <laughs> in the world. And I say, in 20 minutes, you've got to come back and you've got to give me the answer to the question of this case study. Well, the first group that comes back is the ones that have a clearly designed set of values that are hierarchical because that got them all moving in the same direction at the same time. The, the group that comes back last is the ones that didn't have any values and all they did was argue about what should they stand for or not stand for. So values are embedded in the organisation to set people free. That's how we embed it in the, all of our you know, development systems is they are the cornerstone of our business. If you go into our careers site and look at our website, the first thing that pops up is these are our values. And if you don't, if you don't think you can align with them, call someone else. We don't, you know, don't call us. <laughs> I was going to ask you that as well. What if, what if you must have had an experience where you've brought leaders. Actually, I suppose maybe they don't get that far, but leaders are coming to the business or employees that don't uh, share the same values. But for you, that's not a negative conversation to have. You're like, you know, this is not the right company for you, basically. I want you to be happy. I mean, if you this, if you if these are not the values that you like and you're not happy, I'd like you to be happy. You know, I have yeah. no right for you to be unhappy. Go somewhere and be happy. Yeah. We'll share them with a competitor. And uh, by the way, I love your statement at the end of the article when you're saying, if you still want to be uh, a soul sucking <laughs> CEO, we're happy to take all of your untalented employees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're like, and you're, I think you said like, it's, it's up to you, dot, 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 at the end. And I was like, I just love that because I'm sure yeah. it kind of gives you the old ultimatum at the end when you're reading it going, wow. And the statistics that you share, uh, I think you already did earlier, didn't you, in the show with Gallup, were kind of yeah, pretty, it's pretty crazy. Astat- I'm ashamed. That's where yeah. I'll, you know, I'm ashamed of that. I, you know, we as business leaders, I believe, have the biggest opportunity to impact the happiness of the world than ever before. And we think about, imagine a place where you go to work every day, you make a contribution to something bigger than yourself, you feel safe, you learn something new, and you go home happy. Happy people create happy families. Happy families create happy communities. Happy communities create a happy country. And happy countries create a happy world. And in business, we get the opportunity to touch more people every day than anybody else. Yet our soul-sucking leadership behaviors are not sending people home happy because we as leaders are taking, are letting our ego eat our empathy instead of our empathy eating our ego. It's not right. What was the Aristotle quote? Pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work, quoted by Aristotle in 384 yeah. BC. We're very slow learners. You know, yeah. we all know that we do th- do better things when we enjoy doing them. But people who enjoy their job are more curious, they're more bold, they're more brave, there's more innovation. It's fun. You know, mm-hmm. if you ever come and visit our teepee here in San Diego, you see, we just have a lot of fun. But, you know, what it's boring is that we just make oil and put it in a can. Didn't you share an example of someone who kind of used like, here's a purpose statement of someone who, I mean, sorry, a statement for someone who's leading with purpose. And then he was like, here's a statement from someone who's not. And it was like, yeah, we sell oil, we sell cans <laughs> of oil. And the other one was like, well, we solve a problem X, Y, and Z. And I just love the, the difference between the two. I love it because, you know, I travel the world and our purpose statement is, Um, We exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes and workshops of the world. We solve problems and we create opportunities. We're in the memories business. So, you know, I'll be on a plane or somewhere and I'll be sitting next to someone and they'll say, what do you do? And I say, I'm in the memories business. And they go, do you work for Disney? (laughs) I say, no, 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 no. I work for WD-40. 
Oh, WD-40, I remember when. Oh, yes, so true. Everyone says that, don't they? When you mentioned WD-40, everyone always starts with, oh, I remember when, and then they have the story that comes to, to life. And that's yeah. why every day we get up to create these positive, lasting memories. Our second value, our number one value in the company is we value doing the right thing. Our number two value is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships whether it be the relationship with our end user, the relationship with our tribe member, the relationship with our owners, our shareholders, the relationship with our vendors, or even the relationships with our competitors. You know, we want to tell the truth so loud that it drowns out lies that people tell. So people around here love creating positive, lasting memories. What about for everyone um, who's listening to this show right now thinking, oh, yeah, I've got one of those soul-sucking bosses, managers, leaders, CEOs. What advice would you give to them? I think awareness is really a big thing. Uh, that's why I talk about this a lot. You know, I, I, being the CEO of WD40, I can talk about it. You know, go drop a, a copy of my article on their desk and run. <laughs> <laughs> Just tag them in. Tag them in the post. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, It'll go so well. But it's sad. I don't understand why, honestly, Chris, I don't understand why, why leaders don't get it. Um, again, going back to Aristotle, you know, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Isn't our... Our role as a leader to create a place where people enjoy what they're doing, they're held accountable. You know, we talk about the four pillars, care, candor, accountability, and responsibility. If you come and work here, we're going to care about you. What does care mean? It means empathy is number one. Ego is, doesn't, is not allowed. And it means that I care equally or more about your well-being and your future than I do about my own. Candor is no lying, no faking, no hiding. I believe most people don't lie. I believe people fake and hide. The reason they fake and hide is because they're afraid. There's fear. That doesn't work. So care, candor, accountability is do we have a clear understanding of what we expect from each other? And I write about that in the book, Helping People Win at Work. The mm -hmm. biggest reason that, that a review systems or conversations about performance fail is we didn't take time to work out what we want from each other. You know, I get in trouble from my wife all the time because I haven't <laughs> listened to her. She, and, you know, and she said, this is what I really wanted. I said, well, now I know I've tried my best to, to do that. And then mm -hmm. the last one is responsibility, care, care, accountability, responsibility. And that's where the Maniac Pledge comes in, where it says, you know what? We are going to hold ourselves responsible. We're not in the blame business. There's no place around here for someone who points out their good, how good they are by pointing out the failures of others. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. Well, could you share your 10 traits of leadership that you developed? Leaders involve their people. Leaders are always in servant leadership mode. Leaders are expected to be competent. Leaders are connected with high emotional intelligence. Leaders exercise good judgment. Leaders have a strong sense of self-worth. Leaders are champions of hope. Leaders move forward. Leaders do what they say they're gonna do and leaders value the gift of contrarians and feedback. That's a, this has been a journey, right? That, that list wasn't created in one day. No, there's a lot of learning moments in there, a lot of scar tissue in there. And that's okay, like you said before. I think that's so, the people are so worried about making mistakes that they actually never take, oh. take, take the time to actually take that step forward. The three most powerful words I've ever learned in my life, and I really wish I learned the power of them earlier, I don't know. So everybody, get comfortable with it. Be very, very comfortable saying I'm probably wrong and roughly right on most things. None of us are 100% right ever. You know, invite others to participate in the brilliance of themselves. Um, it's, uh, I, I just, I am so lucky I was born dumb. 
there's nothing wrong with asking a question, right? I I love that. And uh, you, I think I, I think everyone's the same, though, right? When you first start out in your career, you kind of worried about seeing, maybe feel like, oh, is it a stupid question? Maybe I shouldn't yeah. ask. What are they going to think of me? You're worried about being judged. And and it's only when you kind of progress and get a bit more confidence in your career or as you progress that you get to the point where you feel more comfortable with asking questions. One um, of the great leaders of the world is a lady by the name of Frances Hesselbein. I don't know if you've ever heard of her or not. She was, she's 104 years old. She used to be the CEO of Girl Guides. Uh, she was a student of Peter Drucker, uh, Marshall Goldsmith, uh, Ken Blanchard, to name a few. And she says one of the four things that are important to her are ask, don't tell, Mm -hmm. listen first, speak last. So more times we tell and then we always speak. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, going back to I don't know, I had a wonderful learning moment when I first moved to the United States. That would have been in 1994. I hadn't been here long at all. And I was sitting in a meeting with a group of colleagues and someone came in from the outside and was giving a presentation about a particular subject. And I'm sitting there and I'm about 10 minutes into this thing and they're using words I've never heard of before. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're, they went to the school of complexity and I'm going, I don't get it. <laughs> so you know what? I was, I was given permission. I put up my hand. I said, sorry, dumb Australian, not long in this country. I have no idea what you're talking about. And everyone in the room, Chris went, oh. You know, I'm not the only one. Because <laughs> no one did. And to me, I thought, wow, I, I, was, I was unintentionally brave, but that was the big aha for me was we could have all sat through that hour. That person could have left. There was 15 people in the room, and we would have wasted all that time and not got anywhere. Now, by me saying that, the, the person went, oh, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? And we got into a conversation and we actually left the meeting with something of value. And to me, that was a that was a big, wow, let's make it simple. You know, people camouflage issues with confusion to make out how smart they are. Yeah, I think everyone's can relate to what you just said, by the way. I was thinking yeah. this so, so many times. But what was, what's great about that as a leader, you demonstrated uh, vulnerability as well. Yes. So, so next time, you know, someone's in that meeting, they're like, wow, well, well Gary asked, you know, yeah. beforehand. Must and then be okay. It, yeah, exactly. And that that's, you you're, you know, you're not, you're demonstrating in your actions as opposed to just saying it. So yes. many, many leaders, we can talk about everything we've just said, but none of them, not many really put it into action and, and, and embody it and, yes. and carry it and are consistent, uh, yeah. like you said earlier. What advice would you, would you give to um, people that are new into a leadership role? It's not about you. It's about the people. You know, leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. And if you take that on and you're dedicated to helping people win, you'll have a very fulfilling life. You will win. I, I stand on the shoulder of giants. Fantastic. Well, look, um, before we wrap up, Gary, if there's, um, thank you so much, first of all. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, as someone who literally grew up using your product every week, uh, in any of the any of where it was my bike my skateboard my rollerblades you know I, I even made a joke to Shane saying do you remember when we used to spray loads of WD-40 in a cup and leave our ball bearings in there overnight so in the morning they were clean and they'd run even faster he, he was he it brought, it brought a smile to his face too because this is actually something that we, we we did as as children so to have you on the show right now and 
the, 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 literally the day I was born, you became CEO, which is of the company. And now here we are 31 years later having this chat on the podcast. So that, that for me is a pretty cool moment. I really appreciate you, you. taking the time to come on the show. Um, I love what you're doing with the organization. Um, for anyone who wants to get a job at WD40, how, how do they go about doing it? What are you looking for right now? <laughs> so as if well, like, how do I work there? <laughs> go to our careers page at wd40company.com and all of yeah. our our, our open positions all around the world are listed there so and i know yeah. there are some so yeah and i'm as you said in your article you're more than happy to take all of the great talent from those souls i can see so <laughs> it's up to them if they want to make a change or not right absolutely uh, as well so what's one advice you'd give to to everyone and also what's the best way for them to get in contact with you or learn more about your work and follow you they can follow me at uh, on linkedin and uh, i'm on linkedin at gary ridge I on Twitter at at Learning Moment or on my website, which is www.thelearningmoment.net or www.thesoulsuckingceo.com. <laughs> yeah. um, either of those are, are fine. And, um, you know, one piece of parting advice, leadership is all about you and it's all about you giving. It's not about you being the lead it's not about you but it's about you giving as a leader so mm -hmm. uh, we can make a difference so um i hope that you know you'll keep uh keep al at bay you know he's unfortunately he <laughs> he's right behind me yeah he's he right went here to sleep for a little while but you know here he is <laughs> this is big al you, do you yeah. know did i just quickly did do you know he has a a, bro, a cousin no no Who, what's who's that his name is short-sighted sam <laughs> Is, are, they, are they being manufactured as we speak? And as when you put Al and short-sighted Sam together, bad, 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 bad. Yeah, but I love the fact that you keep that. For me, that's now a constant reminder. Yeah. It's there every day. I see it Great. all the time, which is what I love. And the fact you've got one on your desk, I'm sure it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, can people buy those or just, just randomly throw it out there? Or you just have No, I, I give them away. If anybody wants away. one, if I have enough, if they want to contact me, I'd be... <laughs> You're probably going to get a lot, lot of messages now. Um, yeah, yeah, if I well, can. For, well, thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate you guys tuning in um, to the episode. Um, as always, if you head over to hrdealers.com, you'll be able to catch up later on demand. Uh, it'll be <coughs> available on LinkedIn straight away. If you're listening to the um, via the podcast as well, um, all of the links in the description, um, everything we've mentioned, linked to the website, uh, the books, anything that's mentioned on the show will be there for you to make things easier. If you're new to the show, please consider following me here on LinkedIn so you'll be notified next time we go live. Make sure you follow Gary uh, on, on LinkedIn because you post quite often, right, Gary? Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, which is how I came across this article in the first place. So it's uh, it's fantastic. Apart from that, I'll let you all get back to work on LinkedIn. Uh, get off LinkedIn, get back to work and um, look forward to seeing you all next time. Thanks a lot again, Gary. Uh, I'll see you soon, okay? Take care.